You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. If you please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1, we'll be reading verses 1 through 4. So verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Logan. Everybody may be seated. Uh, We do have Redemption Kids today. So if that serves you, we have Redemption Kids for ages 2 to 4 and 5 to 9. You can go now. Uh, thank you to those who are serving in Redemption Kids. I'm, I am really stoked. I'm excited. I'm going to try to contain my, uh, I don't know, my excitement. Keep the hand waving to a minimum today, perhaps. Uh, I love the book of Hebrews. I'm excited to begin the book of Hebrews with you. And just, I mean, obviously there's a ton there as we go throughout the book of Hebrews. Um, but I love going through books of the Bible. I love this book in particular, and I'm excited that you're on this journey with me. Now, before I begin, I think it's helpful to remind you um, that a regular practice when it comes to preaching at Redemption Hill is to go through books of the Bible. Um, when we begin a new book, I always find that it's good to remind you of, of this. It's warranted because we're beginning something new. Uh, there are times when, of course, I do switch gears. You all experienced this when we went through the Grace of Salvation sermon series, right? wasn't necessarily going through a book of the Bible, but looking through how God saves. Of course, we have one-off sermons or standalone sermons like Easter or Christmas or whatever else have you. But I always find it, I think it's necessary to actually have the normative practice of the church to go through books, like line by line, verse by verse. I'm going to explain why. Again, just by way of reminder before we get into Hebrews. First, you cannot avoid the challenging passages that speak to complex, complex issues when you go through a book of the Bible verse by verse. For example, when we went through the Sermon on the Mount, now granted that wasn't an entire book, but it was three chapters in the Gospel of Matthew that we went very slowly through. When we went through that, I knew that I had to take on difficult topics such as you know, divorce, lust, adultery, like when you make that the normative practice of preaching at a church, you can't help be confronted with the hard issues that sometimes we try to avoid. Um, going through a book in the Bible is not slow-pitch co-ed softball, but it is fast-pitch professional baseball. The pitch is coming in fast, and you've got to be ready for the ball. A second reason why it is preferable to go slowly through a book of the Bible is that as I preach, 
I am actually, whether you realize it or not, helping you to read your Bible. So when you go home, you're, you look at, you're looking at the text, you're looking at the Word of God, and you're picking up things and how what is taught to you every single Sunday. I didn't realize that until several years ago when someone said that to me, that the way you preach helps me to read my Bible at home. And I think that's a I think it's good to go through books of the Bible for that reason. A third reason why I emphasize going through a book of the Bible is that the Holy Spirit has written every word in the Bible. Yes, there are specific authors of each book, but God, the Holy Spirit, and the author work in tandem to give us God's authoritative word. And if it's authoritative for our lives, it has authority over us, we want to go slow. Sometimes it's really good just to take our time. Here at Redemption Hill, we constantly go back to Holy Scripture. Like, I love seeing Bibles on your lap as you test my words against God's Word. Like, I'm not, that's a good thing. Some pastors are uncomfortable with that, right? I'm not. Like, you need to test my words with God's Word every single, every single Sunday. Final reason. Fourth, it is important to me that you hear from God more than you hear from Sean Powers. Now, I do my level best to be faithful when I preach, but I want you to hear from the living and sovereign God of the universe. Uh, I don't get the churches that don't open their Bibles. Don't understand that. At those churches, you hear from the pastor and whatever opinion he has. There are different, different additional reasons for prioritizing the preaching of God's Word through individual books, but I hope, at the very least, you understand the normative practice at this church. Today's message is meant to introduce you to the book of Hebrews, and then we're going to slide right into verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1. With all that said, I want to invite you to pray before I begin. Heavenly Father, we come to your word this morning, wanting to hear from you. Oh God, help me to be faithful to what you've already spoken. Keep air from my lips. I pray for my friends in front of me this morning, and I trust that the Holy Spirit is indeed at work in their minds and in their hearts. Be glorified this morning as we continue today's service, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the question I want to pose right out of the gate, and I want you to be thinking about it throughout the entire sermon. Are you listening? Are you listening? If you are a Christian, are you listening to all that God has spoken? As Christians, we don't treat... God's words like an a la carte line at Old Country Buffet. Like the prime rib, but hold off on the broccoli. Are you listening? If you're not a Christian, are you listening to what it means to be saved before a holy and just God? So whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, are you listening? We live in, I think you would agree with this statement, we live in a world of constant noise, constant noise. These days, the noise comes from screens, 
many times. My favorite, your favorite movie or my favorite movie or sports team is on the TV or the computer, the iPad or, or the iPhone or the smartphone. I mean, after church, I jump in, my, jump in the truck, I, I flip on the radio. There's noise right there. Like yesterday, I had to force myself. I was driving to the gym. I forced myself, because I was thinking about this, to turn off the radio and just kind of live in the silence. <laughs> And that was extremely uncomfortable to some degree because I'm so used to having noise being pushed into my ears. I mean, our phones play the latest TikTok video or reel on Facebook and people watch and listen. I mean, parents, there's noise when you jump into the vehicle and all of a sudden the kids are chattering in the back. Just no more noise, noise, noise. We, We live in a world of constant noise and most of the noise has words. I mean, aside from classical music and, and the like, songs with words communicate a message. Uh, the politician that speaks communicates a message with words. That news anchor that you watch on your, your computer or the TV, he's, got, he's using words to communicate a message to you. So much noise and so many words, including the words that I'm speaking to you right now, fill our ears and inform our minds every single day. It seems like every single moment of every single day, unless you're like sleeping. <laughs> we speak and we listen. God created us that way. My concern for the church is not that we consume words. God has created human beings to communicate with words and, and through language. My concern is the type of content that we, cons- we consume. My concern is the type of words and the accompanying message that consume our ears on a daily basis. Yes, we are listening. But what are we listening to? The book of Hebrews will offer us an alternative message from what our culture, generally speaking, provides. Hebrews tells us God has spoken... And guess what? God continues to speak. I want to make the case with you this morning that what God says is vastly more important than what your favorite politician has to say. I mean, I've been in those conversations, right? Men's group hanging out or a couple buddies hanging out. And we're more consumed with talking about what's in our news feed than we are with what God has spoken. Right? Am I wrong? I don't think I am. I mean, I'm pointing the finger at me first. What am I consuming? What do I? What you allow yourself to consume will tell you what you find to be important. Words are important. Let me allow to make my point from a biblical perspective. In Genesis 11, we read about the Tower of Babel. Uh, we read about the power of words because it says that the entire earth in Genesis 11, what, they were all speaking like one language. Uh, the tower was meant, this tower that they were constructing, was meant to reach the heavens, which was man's attempt to kind of like be like God. And just pride was just everywhere. In order to disrupt the plans of man, what does God do? I find this extremely fascinating. He confuses the language of all the peoples. He scatters them and confuses their language. 
God understands the power of words and language. Words can be used to, to cultivate things like pride or even death. Or they can be used to cultivate life. The book of Hebrews shows us how words are used for life because they speak about the word of life. For, for years, I have received, again, this is by way of introduction to the entire book of Hebrews, I've received so much encouragement by what God says through the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews has helped impact how I understand my relationship with Christ. We're going to see this later in Hebrews when we talk about Jesus being the greatest sacrifice. Hebrews has informed how I read the Old Testament. It has allowed, has challenged me to think clearly about apostasy. We're going to bump into that. And like, I'm a person who's theologically reformed, as many of you know, and I have to wrestle with passages from the book of Hebrews that talk about a person who walks away from the Christian faith. The book of Hebrews informs my prayer. I oftentimes pray with Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 4, in my mind. And throughout the years, the book of Hebrews has left me in complete awe and wonder. As we will look at next week, what does it mean when we read that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God? What a great line. So I pray and I hope that as we go through this glorious book, God's word will make a mark on your life. Now, before going to the details, going into the details of verses 1 and 2, I do need to place a frame, a frame around this beautiful picture, which is the book of Hebrews. The first theme, which we'll look at today, which I've already introduced, is that God has spoken and God continues to speak through his Son. More on that in a moment. The second theme is the contents of what has been spoken. The book of Hebrews is thoroughly Christological, meaning the book of Hebrews is all about Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. But here's the deal. Here's how the author of the book of Hebrews shows us the supremacy of Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews continually shows us the preeminence of Jesus Christ by going to, as I've said, leading up to this sermon series, by going to the Old Testament. That's so foreign to us. We often just like, Jesus starts in Matthew 1, verse 1, right? No, <laughs> not at all. I've said that the book of Hebrews is the most excellent exposition, explanation of what we read in the Old Testament. If you want to know about the Old Testament and what it's all about, read the book of Hebrews. Like last week we celebrated Easter, right? And it took you to Luke 24. This is the same point Jesus made on the road to Emmaus when he bumps into these two guys. What did Jesus do? Well, I tell you what Jesus didn't do. Jesus didn't show them that he is the Son of God by doing a miracle. He could have done that. Jesus, he took them right to the Old Testament. He took them right to the Old Testament. And he showed them, this is, what the old, this is what it's all about. It's about me. So in the weeks and months ahead, you will see, the old, see what the Old Testament tells us about Jesus. And what it does say is that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. The book of Hebrews tells us 
using the Old Testament, that Jesus is greater than the angels. We're going to bump into that in a few weeks. Jesus is the greatest king. Jesus is the greatest prophet. Jesus is the greatest priest. Jesus is the greatest sacrifice. I mean, this sermon series could have two different titles, but I just had to pick one. But you could, you'd be justified to say the sermon series should be entitled, God Has Spoken or Jesus is Greater. Both are true and both are excellent frames around this sermon series. Okay, I got a few more house cleaning items. Again, just to help you understand where we're at with the book of Hebrews and then we'll get into the text. The book of Hebrews was probably written in mid-60s AD, but before the destruction of the Jerusalem temple in 70 AD. The first question most Christians ask about the book of Hebrews is who wrote it? That's the debate in all the seminary classes. Who wrote it? Was it Paul? Was it Apollos? Was it Luke? Was it some other guy? Polycarp? There's a bunch of possibilities. I could give a compelling evidence, I think, for Paul or Apollos, but I could be wrong. Strangely, I'm not, I'm not concerned and I am comforted that I do, do not know for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews because I am forced to say what I know for sure, which is God the Holy Spirit wrote the book of Hebrews. I can say that with 100% assurity. We can have the debate. Debates are fun. I like those debates. But here's what I do know. The Holy Spirit helped write the book of Hebrews. Now, if you were to ask me, What's your best guess? I would say Apollos. You know, go to Acts 18 and make that case. Doesn't matter. Not so sure. From the book of Hebrews, also, the audience appears to be um, Jews who converted to Christianity who were living in Rome. The original audience is not insignificant because it helps us to understand why we read about the danger of apostasy in the book of Hebrews. We'll bump into that several times. The church in Rome was undergoing intense persecution, and there was temptation to walk away from the Christian faith. It was during this time when Emperor Nero, Emperor Nero was lighting up his garden with Christians who were crucified and then lit on fire. That's pretty intense persecution. 2,000 years later, the pressures and persecution might be different depending on where you live, but the temptation is the same. We need to be encouraged to walk faithfully for God and before God and warned against the danger of walking away. And a way to be encouraged to have greater faith is to be reminded that God speaks. And what he speaks about is the greatness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That was kind of part one for today. Now we're transitioning into part two. Here's the introduction to the book of Hebrews. Long ago... At many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by or through the prophets. Let's pause. From the outset, the book of Hebrews reads differently than many of the letters that we read in the New Testament. Think uh, Romans or Galatians or Philippians, Ephesians, etc. It's likely that this book was actually a sermon to be delivered to the church in Rome. So this sermon will flow in and out of Old Testament exegesis and then encouragement or exhortations. 
Let's take a, a microscope at verse 1. I won't go this slow throughout the entire book of Hebrews, but I think verses 1 and 2 set the tone for the entire book. Long ago refers to a period of time from the life of Christ, stretching back all the way to the creation of the world. That's what long ago means. The, the Greek word for long ago tells us that God created time. God is eternal and timeless, as we heard this morning from Ryan. But God is still sovereign and providentially at work throughout all time. However old do you think the earth is, God has been at work. And what has God been doing? We read that God spoke to our fathers through the prophets in various ways. I mean, have you ever considered how amazing it is that God chose to communicate to his image bearers through speaking, through words? Language and words are, are, are foundational in how God communicates. Like, there was no picture by it. It's, it's all words. <laughs> all of it. We have a book, the Bible, just filled with words. These words communicate God's message. And what about... Uh, most of history, right? We actually span back and you look at all of history. We have t a time where there weren't books and people were illiterate. What do we do with that? Well, God speaks in a similar manner, but through a different vehicle. The message of God has been carried down from one generation to the next through oral tradition. We, we share it. We speak it. We, we've lost this concept in, in our generation because everything is written down. But from one generation to the next, the gospel was handed down orally through words. Now, God's written word governs and guides words that are verbally spoken or orally spoken. But nonetheless, language is how the message of the gospel is communicated. We know that God did more than speak through the prophets, which is why Hebrews 1.1 says that God spoke at many times and in many ways. For example, God used language to speak the world into existence. I mean, let's just go back to Genesis 1-1 for a moment. We read, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and vo void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, the obvious fact is that we are reading words that communicate to us how God created the world by a speech act. But the second point is that God spoke the world into existence. What does the following verse say? And God said... Let there be light. And there was light. Could God have imagined, like imagined the world into existence? I, I guess. Could there have been like a picture of creation and that kind of leaped into existence? Sure. Could God have grabbed like the flannel graph, you know? <laughs> if you grew up in church, you saw the flannel graph and all the pictures. You know, and that became... How God created? I guess. But none of that happened. None of it. He spoke. And it was. Regarding the various ways God spoke, George Guthrie has said, The suggestion brings to mind Old Testament commands, exhortations, stories, visions, dreams, mighty acts, breathtaking theophanies, and a still small voice to name a few. And John Piper adds this encouragement. This is where I get the assurance that God is not withdrawn and uncommunicative. 
this verse stresses the lavish variety of God's communication in many portions or times or places in many ways. This is a great comfort and encouragement. Do you want to know why? Because we all know that some of those portions and ways are hard to understand. If God had only spoken in one portion or one way and we couldn't get it, we would be very frustrated and at great disadvantage. But God has not done it that way. He has spoken in many places and times and portions and in many ways. Listen, confession. I'm not the brightest bulb on the porch. Sean Powers is not the sharpest tool in the shed. Those are just facts. Doesn't mean you need to nod. However, I am also comforted by the fact that God has spoken in various ways. I already highlighted, highlighted how God spoke in creation. But let's not forget that God spoke to Adam in the garden. God spoke to Moses. I mean, who can forget the iconic moment when God speaks to Moses on Mount Sinai? After God spoke to Moses, he spoke to Joshua. Right now, I'm, I'm personally, devotionally, going through the historical books of the Bible and reading about Samuel, how God speaks to Samuel, the prophet. I mean, God spoke through a donkey. I mean, I got questions about that one when I'm in glory with Jesus. What's up with that scene? Kind of bewilders me, but there it is. Various ways. A donkey. God told Jonah to go preach repentance to, to Nineveh. God spoke to King David, to Nathan the prophet, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and the list goes on and on and on. Now here's the question I opened up with. Are you listening to what God has spoken? Praise God that before the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God was speaking to his people through a variety of means and people. What we are going to see as we go through the book of Hebrews is a constant reminder of what God said in the Old Testament. An implication is that what God has said prior to Christ does not, does not um, negate what God has said because of Christ, but it magnifies what God has said before Christ because it is Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. What God has said becomes more clear if the window you look through is Jesus. Like when we read the Old Testament on its own terms, the window we look through is like frosted or clouded. You can see through the other side. You can understand some of what is being communicated, but you would really be helped by looking at the Old Testament through a clear window. Jesus. Here's an excellent example of how to understand the creation of the world through a transparent or clear window. Next week, we will see in the latter part of verse 2 that Jesus created the world. But let's go to Colossians 1. The New Testament helps us to illuminate how God has spoken in the Old Testament. We read, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created. That's pretty clear. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers, or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It was a beautiful day Friday evening, not this weather we got today. I think everyone was loving their three days of spring before yesterday. But on Friday, I went outside um, to kind of write down 
portions of this sermon, and I was reminded that everything I was staring at exists because Christ spoke it into existence. And Christ continues to uphold it. The grass, the trees, the fields, the plants ultimately originate and are upheld by God. Because he chooses to continue to speak it into existence. I mean, I pointed this out to my children in the past, and when they were younger, they would say to me, Dad, doesn't the farmer plant and tend to the field and not God, right? It's a good question, right? My response to them was like, who created man? Who spoke so that you and I or that farmer might exist? Again, the breadcrumb trail always leads us back to Christ. So the entire council of the Old Testament, since Genesis 1-1, speaks and points to Jesus Christ. And I'll add that looking at creation, Psalm 19, is a signpost telling us that God has spoken the world into existence. Even though everything I've said this far is true and tells us how amazing God is, there is more. There is someone more excellent that speaks. Here's the first half of verse 2. But in these last days, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. As I was ruminating, pondering on the first part of Hebrews 1-2, I wondered how other religions portrayed their God, if they believe in God, as speaking to people. Right? So I, I went down the rabbit hole. It seemed like a good time. Here's what other major world religions believe about God revealing himself through speech. Hinduism. In Hinduism, the dominant religion of India, revelation is generally viewed as a process where the religious person escapes from the world of change and illusion and comes into contact with ultimate reality. But here's the deal with Hinduism. God does not directly speak to people. It's not a part of their religion. Buddhism. In Buddhism, there is no God. But there is personal enlightenment called nirvana. In Islam, most believe that Allah spoke only to three prophets, Adam, Moses, and Muhammad. So you, my friend, no bueno. God does not speak to you. Just those three. That's three. Three. Judaism. Jews believe that God spoke. For example, God spoke to Abraham, Moses, and the prophets. There would be some agreement with Christianity that God has spoken long ago. But in Christianity, in Hebrews 1-2, we see a clear difference between Christianity and all the religions that I've mentioned. In these last days, God spoke through the Son. There's a major difference. Major, massive. The Son is not a mere prophet or teacher. Again, John Piper makes the following remarks in his sermon on Hebrews 1-4. This is the difference. The Son of God is not just a prophet. Some thought he was just a prophet, but he was not a mere prophet. Here, Islam makes a great mistake about Jesus. Jesus is not only a prophet like Moses or Isaiah, and he is far above Muhammad in glory. He is the Son of God, and that means he is God. The Son of John Piper is human like John Piper, and the Son of God is divine like God. Jesus is greater Jesus is not a lower God sent by a higher God to communicate with the world. 
The Son is not your personal enlightenment. God the Father sent the second person of the Trinity to speak, and the Son has spoken in these last days. So it's crazy. Think about it. The one who spoke the universe into existence, the one who is our Lord and Savior, he continues to speak. Notice the contrast being painted by the author of Hebrews in verses 1 and 2. And by the way, in the Greek, Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 4, is one long sentence. Just one long sentence. In English, we, we break it up. But there's a contrast between verses 1 and 2. Long ago, verse 1 is contrasted with these last days in verse 2. Previously, God spoke in a variety of ways, verse 1. But the ultimate means of God speaking is through Jesus Christ. The prophets, verse 1, are contrasted with the Son, In only one and a half verses, the Son is seen as supreme, and He speaks. The recipients in verse 1 are the forefathers, and now we are the recipients of what has been spoken. Christ has ushered in something new in these last days. But what are these last days, right? We get some insight from 1 Peter. He was foreknown, that is Jesus, before, before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last days for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are not in vain. The incarnation of Jesus Christ has ushered in these last days. In these last days, the Son is speaking and he And as he speaks, his kingdom takes ground across the world. From 1 Peter, we see in these last days that the kingdom of God takes ground when people believe in the Son of God, that he was raised from the dead. I mean, last week we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? We know that our Lord taught his disciples for 40 days and then ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he continues to reign, where he continues to speak and uphold all things by the word of his power. But if the Son ascended to heaven, how does he continue to speak? Now, here's where good theology answers essential questions. God the Holy Spirit, co-equal with the Father and the Son, is at work through his church. Further, God continues to speak through written revelation, right? The Word of God right here. So yeah, God does continue to speak. He speaks to you. And what if you go through a season of life where you do not hear from God, right? It feels that way. I think we've all gone through that. We've all been there. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've had those days, you've had those weeks, you've had that month, maybe that year or years, where you're just like, God, would you speak to me? Again, the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is God's word for us. We should never say, I'm not hearing from God. The fact is this, God continues to speak, but are you listening? Are you putting in the effort to hear from God? Do you take time to get into God's word? Do you prioritize the singing of songs that proclaim the truth? Do you take time, as you are this morning, to hear from God through the preaching of his word? God has spoken, and he continues to speak, but we need to be putting our eyes and ears in the right place. You might be asking yourself, hey, Pastor Sean, what is up with the rest of our passages? The latter part of verse 2 and verse 3 and 4 is the good stuff. (laughs) 
next week, we will see why we need to listen to the Son. We'll see why. But until then, we can take comfort that as we traverse this world and throughout the ups and downs of life, God did not leave us with silence. He didn't create and there was nothing. Right? But he has spoken. And he has spoken supremely through Jesus Christ. Are we listening? There is so much noise in our world. So much noise in your life. What will it take to block out the wrong kind of noise that does not matter so that we may hear from God? My encouragement to you as I close and as I pray, make a plan to listen so that you may delight in all that God has said and what he continues to say. Let's pray. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.